Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our, our be priests, bishops and pastors refuse to face. That their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war. And someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better read than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die in his feet. And therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond wow. which evil must yeah. not advance. In the words of Jim. Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border and Politicians build a new world order Minds are convinced they should be led. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn you went. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free.
Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. Also want to start off sending uh, all the positive thoughts and uh, certainly uh, sending up prayers for everybody currently struggling to uh, pull things back together after Hurricane Ian has done its damage to the state of Florida and now has managed to make landfall another time, uh, this time in the Carolinas, and now our friends and neighbors in the Carolinas are having to deal with flooding and storm damage and swells as well. So uh, for those of you that are directly affected, you are definitely in our thoughts, our prayers, and our efforts to help you in recovery. So hang tight, keep your chin up, keep saying your prayers, and know that uh, help is on the way. If you can't count on the federal government, you can count on us, your fellow Americans. And with that being said, I want to start off today. I'm not planning on spending a whole lot of time talking about it, but I want to play you this clip. You guys know I don't spend a whole lot of time playing clips, or at least I don't typically. Uh, not for the purpose of discussion points. Uh, it does happen on occasion, and here is one of those occasions. As we're talking about uh, whether or not you can count on the federal government uh, or your friends and neighbors, uh, I want you to hear what Kamala Harris had to say. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by, by issues that are not of their own making. And so we... Absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities. All right. So this particular statement, which was given at a women's conference, and of course, the White House has come out, and they've tried to clarify that that Kamala wasn't talking about uh, relief from the uh, storms in Florida or uh, in the Carolinas or any other type of relief, just a, an in-general statement that equity is always at the front of mind. That equity is always something that we have to consider. We have to remember that we don't all begin at the same starting point. I, I would like to remind Kamala, a person who was born into wealth and privilege, because of the efforts that her parents made to uh, get her there. Um, we're all intimately aware of the fact that we don't all have the same starting point. The primary difference between those of us who are capable, and I use that word capable, because if you don't have the proper mindset, you're just not capable of it. Those of us that are capable of truly experiencing the American dream has nothing to do with what skin color we are, nothing to do with what communities we're a part of. It has everything to do with our desire to take full full advantage of the opportunities that this great nation provides that no other place on the planet does. Now, if you want to say, well, imagine how far someone would have gotten if they had started at the same point that, oh, let's say Kamala Harris did. 
then yeah, okay, legitimately, you want to talk about equity. Uh, if you had started at the same place, there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of people that would be so much further ahead because Kamala, unfortunately, is terribly untalented at almost everything she's chosen to do in her professional life, especially being a politician. She was pandering to a crowd and even forgot the crowd that she was pandering to at that moment in time were women. That's why you heard the host and the, and the person asking the questions and trying to guide the conversation at this particular little event had to throw in. And women? Oh, yes, yes, and women. Yeah, women too. <laughs> she forgot who she was pandering to in this particular crowd. And that's the problem with always trying to pander and always trying to virtue signal. Now, most of the pushback we've heard, whether it's from people in politics or people that are simply observers of culture, people ranging uh, from as hyper-political as Ron DeSantis, current governor of the state of Florida, to someone that is simply a cultural observer as Elon Musk. They have torched this statement because it sounds as if she is making the statement that the federal government really should consider your color of skin in determining if you get aid and, if you do, how much aid you get. That's not a message that plays well in the midst of disaster. It's not a message that would play well if you meant it. And quite honestly, despite the backpedaling, I'm pretty sure she did mean it. Because it's the same message that we have been hearing from the intelligentsia of the political left for some time now. Both from academia and from active office holders. People that are trying to placate to a base that has been led so astray that they no longer understand that when you look at your fellow Americans, the best thing you can do is see a friend and a neighbor. The best thing that you can do is see someone that shares at least enough basic common ground values and principles that they can share a community with you. Not just somebody that looks different than me or thinks different than me. And for, for the love of all that's holy in heaven, I hope we all think at least somewhat differently than everyone else. And the most beautiful aspect of America is that we used to be free to express those differences and not be in any kind of fear of any actual retribution. Now, it may very well have been true that Kamala wasn't talking about the relief aid after Ian. It may be very much true that she has no intentions of propagating such an idea, such a process, should she ever garner higher power and authority than that as simply being the tie-breaking vote at the Senate while they have a 50-50 split. And imagine what Kamala's political resume is going to look like should the Republicans take control of the Senate or should the Democrats take control of the Senate in the upcoming midterms? Because in either scenario, they won't need a tie-breaking vote anymore. So she'll just be there uh, to just hang out, which is decidedly probably what she's best at when it comes to actual politics. We have had very few people get as far as they have by simply the virtue of beginning a political career by being Willie Brown's side piece. 
which is an apt description, not, not simply an attack on her character, although it says a lot about her character, doesn't it? Willie Brown having been married at the time of the novel. Now, I want to play that clip one more time, and I want you to listen carefully to the things she's saying, understand who she's trying to placate to, what virtues she's trying to signal, and then tell me again whether you believe, regardless of if she meant it about this relief package or anything else, if this is an appropriate thing for a sitting a vice president of the United States to not only say it publicly, but to believe it all. Here's that clip one more time. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and, and impacted by, by issues that are not of their own making. And so we, absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities. No, Kamala, the one thing we need to take into account is the fact that we don't want people to end up in an equal place. We want them to be treated equally as they make their way through this life. We want them to have the opportunities be the same. We want them to be treated the same as everyone else under the law. And everything else is up to them based not on the color of their skin, not on their religious beliefs or lack thereof, but on the amount of effort they're willing to put into their work, the amount of effort they're willing to put into their education, the amount of effort that they're willing to put into taking full advantage of the opportunities that exist here in the United States of America and nowhere else. That's what we should take into consideration. With that being said, Let's get to the rest of the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, just in case you weren't aware, and it is certainly understandable if you were not, because there's been ton of tons and tons of things, actually, that have been controlling and dominating the media as of late, and rightfully so. But there are other things that are still happening, and one of those stories that I think really is kind of important the Federal Reserve Board of Governors have just announced that the six members, uh, the, the primary forces that make up the Federal Reserve Bank, which is not a single bank, actually, uh, but uh, they're going to have six of the largest banks take part in a brand new process, a process that's intended to examine the economic risks that are posed by, you probably guessed it already, climate change. See, the central bank, clarifying that no regulatory implications are linked to this pilot program, said that the exercise will use scenario analysis to access climate-related financial risk. The banks that are going to be involved here are the banks. They are essentially the Federal Reserve. We're talking about Bank of America. We're talking about Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. These will be the banks that are participating in the new initiative. 
quoting here in a, from a statement from the Federal Reserve. The pilot exercise will be launched in early 2023 and is expected to conclude around the end of the year. At the beginning of the exercise, the board will publish details of the climate, economic, and financial variables that make up the climate scenario narratives. Over the course of the pilot, participating firms will analyze the impact of the scenarios on specific portfolios and business strategies. The board will then review firm analysis and engage with those firms to build capacity to manage climate-related financial risk. Fancy way of saying, oh, we have to take all of the governmental policies and all of the possible reactions of the people to climate change into effect. All right, so a good thing to do, a smart thing to do, if you're in business, if you've ever had to meet a payroll, you know that it's actually required of you to make projections, to try and to anticipate the negative as well as the positive. In order to be prepared when something bad happens, to have at least an idea, a fallback position. So is the notion of taking potential climate disasters into account as you look to move your business into the next five or ten years that you're hoping to be in existence? No. Should climate change be one of those factors? Probably yes. Not for the reasons of humanity's not possible, uh, capable of adapting to what's going to happen. Not for the reasons that, oh, this is all man-caused and we should make investments and, and stop money flow to companies that are abusing the environment. No, simply so that you can actually anticipate how your business model is going to react to changes in both the physical climate and the political climate. At the end of the uh, at the end of the day, this particular anticipation has way more to do with an attempt to factor in what you believe governmental policies directed towards climate change is really going to uh, what it's going to look like and how that might affect your business model and whether or not money for investment should continue to go into certain uh, industries that probably will be squeezed out because of those policies, not because the market has decided it, but because those in a position of power and authority have chosen to take a path that maybe doesn't even make sense for the advancement of humanity. You know, things like this economic uh, reduction, uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which was nothing but a big green bill, which is nothing but uh, the New Green Deal slightly pared down having nothing at all to do with the reduction of inflation, which we've already talked about, but feels like it's worthy of being reiterated on a few occasions. It's a really good example of what not to do when you're in the middle of an inflationary uh, cycle, especially now that the data has been released and it's becoming very obvious that even those who choose to protect Biden and the Biden administration are going to have a harder and harder time denying that we are in fact in a recession. None of these things circle back around to being less than what is most important in business, and that is anticipating the trends and being prepared 
as best you can, not only for the situations that are likely, but also for the situations that aren't very likely, but are still well within the realm of possibility. And it's very much possible that a government could decide to do things like, I don't know, reconations, energy independence, just as an example. Not real sure where I'm picking that one from. Not like something that could actually happen in the real world, right? Right? At any, any point, other countries, central banks, including the Bank of England, which is something I talked about recently with uh, Ken Crow, was hoping to talk about today with Ron Edwards, and I wasn't able to get a hold of Ron today, so hope everything is okay there. But the uh, Bank of England and these other countries, they, they've had their central banks formally conduct exercises that are similar to what these folks are talking about. These are exercises that are meant to, to help executives navigate a transition to an economy with net zero emissions. Or at least that's what they say. The Federal Reserve already runs stress tests that determine whether the financial sector is able to weather economic crisis. They, they do it all the time. In fact, some banks get in a whole lot of trouble for not having enough fluidity. Some uh, financial services get the axe because they're unattainable or they're unsustainable. At the end of the day, those should be the primary concerns. The economic crisis, whether it's brought on by man-caused crises, governmental policy, or just generalized trends, what happens in a disaster. Quoting here from the statement again, the board's stress tests are designed to assess whether large banks have enough capital to continue lending to households and businesses during a severe recession. The climate scenario analysis exercise, on the other hand, is exploratory in nature and does not have capital consequences. Only, doesn't it, though? I mean, you're already making the availability of cash much lower. And it's a necessary evil on this point. The only way, the only way to try and move forward with this level of inflation is to reduce the amount of cash that's available to the hands of consumers. Cutting our buying power by virtue of forcing people into simply choosing to purchase less, to not choose the same luxury items, to have a negative impact on our economy to try and slow down the red-hot spending. See, red-hot spending, when the market actually supports it, when there's not a whole bunch of free money, when everybody's cash flow has legitimately been raised through increase of economic wellness within the system, when you manage things like, I don't know, let's say energy independence for a nation, again, just an offhand example. And when you see something like that, well, then suddenly that just means reasonable growth. 
Everyone's wealth has increased and the buying power has increased because the money is simply worth more because the nation's wealth has improved. There are capital consequences on everything the Fed does, not just here. So to try and say that this is just looking at the climate scenarios, I, are you even actually taking into the account the actual concern of climate consequences, that being the steps that governmental bodies around the world are taking to try to create this net zero emissions fallacy? See, I don't know if they're even doing that. One would presume. I mean, I read this and I'm thinking they certainly should because that's going to have way more to do with it than generalized climate uh, activity because humans are really good at adapting. And the government and all these uh, climate alarmists continue to ignore the fact that deaths related to climate change Deaths related to weather-related situations continue to go down. Even if we are now currently monitoring and maintaining uh, working knowledge on more extreme weather, we're better able to handle it. And that has a lot to do with our technological advancements, our ability to utilize the resources that are here. We are the stewards of this planet. That doesn't mean we get to be wasteful and try to destroy it, but it also doesn't mean that we just put ourselves on the back burner and don't utilize the resources that are available. To be a steward means that you are making the best use of those resources. Should we constantly be working to improve our capabilities? Yes. Should we just stop using it? Absolutely not. That is also not being a very good steward. And that's the kind of mentality that's led to uh, tremendous damage causing forest fires throughout Florida because instead of, uh, not Florida, in California, uh, not because uh, suddenly they forgot that controlled burns is actually helpful for the environment, they just sat back and let things take their course. Nature taking its own course often means a lot of damage and destruction when conditions are allowed to get too far out of balance. Humans' ability, humanity's ability to intervene for positive is not only underestimated when these people are talking and trying to sell you worst-case scenarios for climate change. They're ignored completely. You're treated like everything humanity does. Every impact humanity has on the planet is a negative when it's not. At any rate... The executive branch, from which the Federal Reserve is separate, again, just a reminder for those of you that continue to mistakenly believe the Federal Reserve is part of the federal government, they are not. The executive branch is pursuing a, quote, whole of government approach to put climate change at the center of the domestic, national security, and foreign policy. I mean, Joe Biden himself gave a speech saying exactly that. Just days after his inauguration, he gave a speech saying that. The Office of the Comptroller of, of the Currency, an entity in the Treasury Department charged with 
regulating and supervising banks. They've recently uh, tapped New York State Department of Finance Services climate czar Yu Chen as its new chief climate risk officer. Again, why? Well, because it's a whole-of-government approach. we got to figure out a way that we can sneak this into everything we're doing. You know, we have to make sure that the color of your skin and the identity of your gender, not your actual gender, but the identity that you, you want to present, that those things are way more important than simple notions like, uh, can you do this job? Are you very good at this job? Not only can you do it, but can you do it well? I mean, those are things that we used to take into account. But now we also have to take into account things like, well, how will this affect the climate? And if the answer is, well, it might a little bit, some way, somehow, then, well, we must do something immediately. Anyway, uh, going back to uh, the remarks that were made, uh, quoting here, as our nation and the world grapple with how to respond to climate change, banks are increasingly focused on the risks that climate change brings to their balance sheets. The Federal Reserve is working to understand how climate change may pose risks to individual banks and to the financial system. The Federal Reserve's mandate is this I'm sorry, in this area is important, but narrow focused on our supervisory responsibilities and our role in promoting a safe and stable financial system. Now, the pivot towards weighing climate change into fiscal and monetary policy, it's drawn a little bit of criticism. Uh, just another effort to embed the ESG scoring uh, movement into America. Companies that subscribe to this movement often hire with respect to racial or gender identity while deprioritizing merit, pushing green energy standards over conventional fossil fuel usage, and otherwise blend profits with left-wing social policies. Only it's not so much of a blend, is it? I mean, they have to continue to make some level of profits in order to continue to support the left-wing social policies, but it really is more about forcing a transition onto us. It's just not attainable at the moment. We don't have a technology that allows us to completely embrace the green. And what they're offering up right now is green energy alternatives first of all, aren't even that green, not when you look at its creation, but it's also not sustainable because it all requires batteries. Batteries that still require charging. And the most reliable ways to continue to charge those batteries still comes from fossil fuel-based energies. So despite efforts from many Western governments and corporations to decrease reliance on carbon, it's important to note that China has been rapidly increasing its use of fossil fuels, increasing emissions by 11% over the past seven years, even as the United States cut emissions 
by 6%. In other words, the things we're doing to try and push back uh, to our terrible damage that we're creating to the environment, which, by the way, we're not actually, not when you look at the real science, everything that we're doing is being outpaced, outdone, and taken apart by other countries, some of which happen to be our adversaries. Let's take that mid-hour break, and I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. this. The president has been very clear. You know, as you know, the president has been very clear, very clear, very, very clear. Uh, uh, uh. The president is doing what the president is your, the president is, these are items that the president has been very clear on. We're in the quote. Repeat the line. Uh, uh, uh. And so the president has been very clear. The president has been very clear. I was going to put him, uh, put me. The president's been very clear. Why? Look, the president has been very clear. But is he going to specify exactly? No, but he has. The best way to get something done that uh, uh, if you if you hold near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to. Uh, uh, Ford doesn't have a better idea. In fact, Ford has bad news for car buyers and the economy. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. As you know, supply chain issues have been hindering every sector of the economy, including auto manufacturers like Ford Motor Company. The Durbornistan, Michigan auto giant pointed to the coronavirus scandemic lockdowns, forced automakers to halt operations at factories in certain regions. Also, semiconductor shortages forced them to suspend the production of certain models. The reopening of the various economies gave hope that the supply chain issues might improve. Unfortunately, that is not the case for a number of reasons, including Biden administration economy strangulation via regulations. So now, between up to 45,000 to 50,000 ordered vehicles remain partially manufactured, and they will not be completed before the start of the final quarter of this year. Also, the dealerships will not receive vehicles for sale on schedule. Ford hopes to have the needed supplies to finish building those 50,000 mostly high-margin trucks and SUVs before the end of this year. Ford refused to say which specific parts are missing or which models are affected. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience via theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. I'm so tired of trickle-down economics. And I never found that trickle-down on top of my head very much. I was listed, I was had the great pleasure of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. I still had making a hell of a lot more money than anybody else because I was getting a senator's salary. No kidding. I didn't think you should make money while you're in office. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. I'm not being facetious, and I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. 
I'm being serious. Well, all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I really mean it. I mean this. I'm not being solicitous. Not a joke. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. One, two, eighteen. Let me eat a bill bar. Let me eat a bill bar. Let me eat a bill bar. to the truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. Rise and shine, sleepy Joe. Now's the time, don't you know, to get into a new kind of dream. You can rest your head on the corner of your bed. You can watch the world go by, but you're never gonna see what the other people see if you're always gonna be a lion dog face pony soldier. Yes, indeed, I am a lion dog face pony soldier. At least that's what Joe Biden will continue to tell me, uh, tell you about me. And anybody else that's even the least bit conservative or has a singular conservative view about any topic that is counter to the policies, counter to the platforms, counter to the notions, the ideas that there's anything positive about the United States of America worthy of salvaging and saving. Yes, that's right. You could be left uh, on 99% of your viewpoints, but if you deviate just one time on one occasion, then you too are an ultra-mega, and you too are a threat to our democracy, and you too will finally recognize how ridiculous these people are and how authoritarian they are. Not those of us they keep claiming are the authoritarians, but they themselves. You know, they uh, they keep using these words. 
and I don't think they know what these words mean. Uh, what do you say we get back to it? Because, you know what, there's more stuff to talk about that's being undercovered because it's being overshadowed by major breaking news. One of these little things, these little tiny little tidbits that you probably ought to be aware of, on the heels of us discovering this past week how much more the personal value, the individual wealth of Dr. Anthony Fauci and wife has increased during the age of the pandemic, which we talked about in the last broadcast, we've now found out that it's also continuing to be lucrative for some of Dr. Fauci's friends. That's right. Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, the second greatest doctor of all times, immediately after Dr. Jill Biden, Fauci has steered another rather lucrative grant to study bat viruses to the very same company that's suspected by some, have to throw that in, suspected by some of conducting gain-of-function research at the mysterious Chinese laboratory, where some experts believe COVID-19 was first created. Uh, you know, again, some, not saying that's what I think, not saying that's what you should think, uh, but you probably should think that. Anyway, EcoHealth Alliance last month began a multi-year study of viral sequencing and isolates for use in vaccine deployment, according to a grant from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. So, yeah, there's a reason why that might sound familiar. The, uh, the, NIA, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that's, that's one of the things that Anthony Fauci oversees that he runs. Anyway, uh, the uh, $3.3 million study, which involves bats and coronaviruses, <gasps> well, it's set to run through August 31st of 2027. So, you know, a nice chunk of change for a nice long term of research. Quoting here from a tweet from Rutgers University Professor of Chemistry and Biology, Richard Ebert, quote, it should be noted that EcoHealth Alliance was awarded a new NIH grant 10 days ago, providing an additional $3.3 million over five years for a project including high-risk virus discovery research in bats in Southeast Asia. Uh, important to note that uh, Professor Ebert uh, has been a frequent critic of Fauci and believes the virus was likely man-made, which I think most people who have any basic fundamental understanding of biology, at least uh, microbiology and uh, virus and bacteria function in particular, depending on the nature of your focus, you probably look at this and see all the hallmarks of something that was patched together uh, rather uneloquently, uh, as in lab-created, as opposed to what you normally see from something that evolves naturally. Anyway, EcoHealth Alliance, which is run uh, by friend of Fauci, Peter Dasik, Des I think is the pronunciation, uh, 
Anyway, uh, sorry, Peter, if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Uh, anyway, Peter has been the focus of suspicion that the virus uh, has killed more than 6 million people worldwide, may have been created in the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, through gain-of-function research, work that supposedly makes viruses more transmissible and more deadly in order to develop antidotes for when the viruses do this on their own. That's the idea of gain-of-function. Uh, sadly, it's not a topic I feel like requires a great deal of explanation anymore. Uh, Pre-pandemic, uh, there might have been a lot of folks that needed some clarifications. Like, well, I've heard of gain-of-function research, not real clear exactly what it is. So thank you, Tim, for uh, making that a little more accessible knowledge for laymen. But now I feel like most of us probably know this, just if nothing else, the arguments in Congress between Fauci and uh, Senator Rand. Rand Paul, that is. And, uh, you know, the idea being, well, we're going to figure out how it does this. Anyway, EcoHealth received $3.7 million grant from the NIAID back in 2014 for a project titled Understanding the Risk of Bat Coronavirus Emergence. Again, most of us have probably heard this. Maybe we're not uh, committing it to memory, but as soon as I say it, I know you're hearing it again. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember we've already talked about this. We've been talking about this since the pandemic began in certain conservative circles. Anyway, they received this $3.7 million grant then and sent more than $600,000 of the funds to the Wuhan lab. Peter Dasrick or Dazak, Dazak, actually, I think Dazak is correct. Anyway, Dazak worked closely with the uh, Wuhan lab's bat lady, uh, a Chinese name that I'm not going to attempt at the moment. And uh, Dazak was also part of the World Health Organization's China team that dismissed the lab leak hypothesis as being, quote, extremely unlikely which, as I would say to my friends that I'm talking to naturally, sounds exactly like what you would say if you're the one who did something. Well, that's not very likely. Hmm. Good job of uh, sweeping up your back trail so nobody can follow you. That was a very convincing statement. Now, Fauci, of course, has insisted that no gain-of-function research, which was illegal at the time, uh, took place at the Wuhan lab using U.S. taxpayer funds. He's insisted that from the beginning, and he has actually also insisted during direct testimony, talking to Rand Paul uh, on multiple occasions, and a few other folks that have questioned him on the topic too, has denied that gain-of-function actually even exists, because he changed the definition, and that's not what that's called anymore, so no, it's not that. That is literally the argument. He's arguing semantics. He's arguing the fact that, well, it wasn't gain-of-function research, because we now define gain-of-function research as being something completely different. That doesn't mean it wasn't gain-of-function research, and the definition fits exactly with what they were doing. Lawrence Taubach, uh, Lawrence Tabak, the NIH's principal 
deputy director, said in a letter last year that EcoHouse admitted the NIH grant was used to infect humanized mice with modified bat coronaviruses that made them sicker. So Lawrence has admitted publicly that it was gain-of-function research. Rand Paul has repeatedly accused Fauci of funding dangerous research and then changing the NIH definition of the term to avoid culpability while funding the creation of unnatural and deadly viruses. Quoting here from one of uh, Paul's interactions with Fauci, you repeated your repeated denials have worn thin, and the majority of Americans frankly don't believe you. Your persistent denials are not just a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. You've changed the definition on your website to cover your ass. I mean, kudos for Paul to actually go that far and say that. Of course, Fauci told Paul that, and other lawmakers too on the Senate Health Committee, that Paul was egregiously incorrect in what he says. In fact, you'll all remember when he said, Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things you've said. First of all, gain of function is a very nebulous term. Well, if it's so nebulous, how are you able to deny it so abruptly? So clearly, so passionately, because if it's nebulous, then how is it that you can think for a second that it doesn't fall into the generalized definition, you know, before you change the definition on your website? Fauci has said that he will retire in December. Republicans are expected to re uh, recapture the House and potentially the Senate and will likely launch new probes into what, if any, role Fauci and uh, Dasek, again, I'm struggling with your last name, Peter, and I don't mean any disrespect for that. Some of the other things you've done, but not with your name. Anyway, uh, checking out the role that these two guys played in funding the creation of the COVID virus that we've all come to know and love as COVID-19. The new grant, of course, comes despite legislation introduced last week by Senator Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa, that would bar federal funding to EcoHealth Alliance, period, by name. Uh, quoting here from Ernst, Giving taxpayer money to EcoHealth to study pandemic prevention is like paying a suspected arsonist to conduct fire safety inspections. NIH got it right when they canceled the funding for the experiments EcoHealth Alliance was conducting with China's state-run Wuhan Institute. In addition to violating multiple federal laws, EcoHealth has still not turned over documents about these dangerous studies that NIH had requested on multiple occasions that could offer vital clues to the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. At this point, though, how many Vital clues do we still need? At this point, seriously, how much do we still need to investigate? Aren't the answers pretty evident at this point? Haven't we seen enough? Their leaked memos, their 
bending over backwards through intellectual and physical gymnastics in order to try and keep themselves out of harm's way as the truth continues to step forward. It's getting harder and harder for them to deny the facts. It, it doesn't stop the gatekeepers of information, the mainstream legacy media and social media, from trying to censor out as much of that truth as possible. It also doesn't help that we now have so many Americans in this country that are so egregiously tied to their political party that they no longer think straight about the repercussions of the policies these parties are moving forward. So we have a lot of people that are willfully and willingly ignorant of facts that are being displayed immediately in front of them refusing to acknowledge what they can see for themselves, what is clearly one plus one equaling two. We talked back in the first hour about Kamala Harris pandering so often and so frequently that sometimes she forgets what groups she's pandering to. We see that now among certain elected officials and certain uh, groups and organizations that are hoping to get money from the federal government, that they too are ignoring the basic principles and premises of what their jobs, what their responsibilities, what science actually tells them in comparison to what the people sending them the money wants the science to say. That's why we can't trust government-backed science anymore. Now, the left is real quick to point out any scientific research that's been privately funded that comes out that's supportive of the businesses that may be invested in uh, whatever research was involved, like, say, uh, a tobacco company uh, funds research that comes out saying that, uh, you know, smoking's not that dangerous. Well, the folks on the left are going to be really quick to point out, it's like, uh, can we trust that science? Because, first of all, it seems to defy common sense which sometimes science does. But that should still be your first test. Does this make sense based on things we already know? Is this that world-changing? Does it change our point of view so drastically that it's still really hard to wrap our mind around it? That should be the first test, not the final, but the first test, because sometimes science will do exactly that. Sometimes the reality of things that we haven't previously understood will do exactly that. So that's okay. So then the next thing you look at is, what do these people have to gain if they were to lie to us? In an instance like this, the people that are putting forward this study for your consumption, trying to convince you that this is what the science says, they have the money that they receive. Well, if you're following the money, you follow the money backwards in this case, what do the people who fund in this have to gain from a potentially pre-selected determination. Here's what we want to happen. Now you go find a way to make the science say it's true. And if you can find clear-cut reasons why they would want a certain thing to be true, then you should take it with a grain of salt. And you should wait till more clearly independent science steps forward and either completely debunks it or maybe offers up some more support for the notions and the ideas that are presented in these papers. Science is supposed to challenge you. 
science is still also supposed to be independent. It's supposed to go where the facts take you. You're supposed to be able to conduct repeatable results with repeatable experiments. You do the experiments, you get the same results, then you start saying, we may be on to something. You cannot say that science is ever settled and expect to be taken seriously because science is never settled. Same as you can't say that the constitutionality of something is settled uh, when you're looking at one particular case, but then you want to ignore it in another when it worked to your advantage. What you have to say is, okay, this is the current ruling of the court. And if you don't believe that it's constitutional, but they've come down saying that it is, then you need to study the Constitution, you need to study the opinions that were written, and you really need to focus on, is this a truth? The law is never settled. The Constitution has been. Laws are constantly changing. Science is never settled. But uh, we do live in an age now where you should be even more skeptical of the science than you ever were before. Not because scientists are inherently wanting to lie to you, but because science has become more politicized and the dollars required to perform science has gotten so high that you need the money. And sometimes that means you have to play a game of, I'll tell you what you want to hear as long as the cash keeps flowing, as long as the checks keep clearing. That's going to have to be it for the first hour, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio, tune in again tomorrow, same time, and you will hear hour number two of today's broadcast. If you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. It continues right after this. But uh, let's do that reset. Hey, uh, by the way, Joe Biden... This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go, hey. let's go, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. You know what they say, Let's go, Brandon. She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man. Told that union saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when couldn't say how, couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. They learned to hate the public schools, Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw oh, 
You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. But as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And it is just going on and on, continuing to be the wildest ride we've been on ever since the day that one certain reality television star, land development mogul, Donald John Trump first came down an escalator and announced that he would be running for president and meant at that time. Things just have not slowed down since that moment, and they continue to go at a breakneck pace. I want to continue to send out thoughts, prayers, and all the positive uh, 
vibes that are possible to our friends and neighbors in Florida and in the Carolinas. Uh, obviously, uh, the uh, cleanup and the repairs are ongoing, and lots of people have lost more than just things. But uh, remember, uh, those of you that are still going through it, uh, keep your head up, keep saying your prayers, and, uh, and remember, uh, your fellow Americans have your back. We do. You may not be able to count on the federal government, may not even be able to count on your state and local government, but you can count on your fellow Americans to be there as much as you'll let us, and we will do exactly that. All right, with that being said, I want to remind everybody, especially if you happen to be listening on uh, terrestrial radio where you're getting this program rebroadcast, or if you happen to be listening to the broadcast on the last frequency, or if you're listening anywhere else, uh, maybe you're just a few days behind on your podcast listening. Uh, time of the live broadcast happened to be October the 2nd, 2022. So it is Sunday, and it is October, boys and girls. It is the time of creepiness. Woo, spooky month. Uh, and, man, uh, things have been pretty spooky straight up for a little while now, based solely on politics. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to the artificial spookiness of October. That's just where we're at, guys. Okay, so this is the second hour, meaning that if you, for some reason, missed the first hour, especially if you happen to be listening on Terrestrial Radio, I'd like to invite you to come find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Got to give a major shout out to the folks listening on Stitcher.com recently, as I've had a huge uptake in the last two to three weeks of uh, Stitcher listeners uh, playing and listening and, and downloading. So thank you guys for being so active over there. You've taken over the number two spot on uh, these sources of people listening to the show. So thank you so very much. I greatly appreciate that. And uh, you guys continue to keep it up. Uh, but uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show follow the show I, I, over at stitcher it is follow not subscribe got to remember which buttons you're hitting based on the platforms um, there's never a charge for following or subscribing on any of the places that you'll find the podcast version of the show it is free it just makes sure that you get notifications when there's a new one but you never want to miss a new one uh even though sometimes maybe you're like okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna prioritize and listen to Ben Shapiro instead, or I'm going to listen to uh, Stuber Gear instead, or, you know, however you may decide to do that. I'm listening to Dan Bongino today. Okay, if you only have so much time, that's all right. But at least give yourself the uh, option to be reminded. So uh, hit that follow button, and uh, don't forget to share with people that you think might also enjoy, because that does help me out quite a bit. And I, like a lot of you right now in these financial times, I can use whatever help I'm getting, and sometimes that just helps to get it in front of somebody else. It gets the recommendation made one more time, and then possibly get a little more ad revenue. So that's always a plus. I know you guys don't particularly like listening to ads, but that's a big part of what helps to make sure that the show continues to go. So, you know, help me out a little. Now, with all that being said, let's jump in because hour number two is going to go by way too fast if I don't get started. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of these vulnerable House Democrats because they are bucking leadership again. This isn't a new 
uh, situation. We've been seeing for some time now, uh, especially Democrats that are in more vulnerable races in the upcoming midterms, have been very disappointed and have been getting more and more vocal about their lack of faith in the current leadership of the party. Well, this recent uh, thing kind of dusted up this past Friday after the leadership of the party kind of uh, put the brakes on this effort to ban members of Congress from trading stock. Now, you and I both know, dear listener, why Nancy Pelosi really doesn't want to put this in place. Because it would also affect immediate family members, or at least it should. And I'm sure they're trying to work in an amendment where it doesn't, because in Nancy's household, it's her husband, Paul, that does all the investing. But based on his patterns, it seems pretty clear that he's at least somewhat familiar with what is going on uh, with potential oversight in certain parts of the industries and markets that are covered within the stock exchanges. Now, I'm not saying that they're violating the law. I mean, after all, I really imagine Nancy Pelosi walking around the house thinking that uh, she's a freaking Judge Dredd. I am the law. <laughs> At any rate, in a statement this past Friday, Representative Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, slammed the House Democrat leadership after they stalled the bipartisan effort to ban stock trading by members of Congress. Democrats unveiled draft legislation this past Tuesday, but leaders said that this week that they're not ready to vote on the bill and that the House will recess Friday until after the general election. So Spanberger accused leadership of using repeated delay tactics and called for the current leadership to be replaced. She was saying, look quiet part out loud. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and her brood are losers and they've been there too long. Okay, she didn't say any of that. But she clearly wants the people that she needs to vote for her to believe that she's standing up and bucking the trend. Maybe she's actually legitimate on this, too. Maybe she really does believe this. It did have plenty of bipartisan support. And I do tend to think that something like this will pass if Republicans manage to wrestle away control. We'll still have to see. And it's entirely possible that it could still get vetoed once it reaches the president's desk. But I think there's enough Republicans that uh, understand that there's enough Americans that are tired of these people going to D.C. and suddenly becoming rich when they didn't stand a chance of becoming this rich before. Most of them can't run a business, never have. They've never met a payroll, so they don't understand. They just pass rules, laws, and regulations that make it harder for people that do try to meet a payroll to do exactly that. And that's unfortunately true on both sides of the aisle. Regardless of what letter they've got attached to the end of their name, a lot of these people are so far removed from what it's like to try and do something in this country besides give speeches and uh, conduct fundraisers. Uh, they, they don't know anymore. Anyway, quoting from Spanberger, <clears throat> I've been proud 
to lead the charge on legislation to ban members of Congress and their immediate families from trading individual stocks. Not only because it's the right thing to do, but because the Virginians I represent overwhelmingly support it and want us to get it done. Since the early days of the pandemic, I have worked with lawmakers from both parties and across the ideological spectrum to earn their support for my bipartisan bill, the Trust in Congress Act, to require individual stock holdings be divested or placed in a qualified blind trust while in office. Our common sense proposal demonstrated that many Democrats and Republicans alike take this issue absolutely seriously and are listening to the voices of the people. Now, Spanberger, who co-authored the Trust in Congress Act, along with Representative Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, pointed out that bipartisan momentum in support of banning members from trading stocks grew in both houses of Congress. Representative Vicki Hartzler, a Republican from Missouri, introduced her own bill in the House. In the Senate, competing legislation was introduced by Senators Josh Howley of Missouri and John Ossoff of Georgia, a Democrat, along with a third bill co-authored by Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Steve Daines. Democrats introduced versions of the bill in the House as well. So, what's the holdup here? What seems to be the problem? Well, while I think you and I both already know what the problem is, uh, trying to trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, let's, let's take a look at what they're saying. You see, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi herself expressed support for the stock ban earlier this year. This, of course, was after... She did not support the idea because she tried to say that that's the free market and that's what America's all about uh, initially. And then after hearing a lot of pushback from folks in her own party, she changed her position. And now she's just trying to make it look like it's not really her fault. They're not moving forward with it, even though it was House leadership that stopped this. Quoting uh, from... Uh, Spanberger, again, complaining about Nancy Pelosi's so-called support. However, our bipartisan reform coalition was then subjected to repeated delay tactics, hand-waving gestures, and blatant instances of Lucy pulling the football. Now, you gotta love a good Charlie Brown reference <laughs> makes its way into the inner workings of Congress, don't you? Ah, yes. If only we could get Snoopy shooting down the Red Baron. Anyway, back to quoting. This moment marks a failure of House leadership. And it's yet another example of why I believe that the Democratic Party needs new leaders in the halls of Capitol Hill. As I have long made known, rather than bring members of Congress together who are passionate about this issue, leadership chose to ignore these voices, push them aside, and look for new ways that they could string the media and the public along, and evade public criticism. In the months ahead, I will be 
dogged in my efforts to ban members of Congress from using the privilege of their position to profit. I look forward to working with both my Democratic and Republican colleagues to get these reforms done. That's how she concluded her statement. Now, according to Business Insider, House Administrative Committee Chairwoman Zoe Lofgren, Democrat from California, for those of you that are keeping score, I, I don't always include that, but sometimes a bill like this, since there is so much uh, cooperation from across the parties, it actually does seem to be legitimately a... Uh, a positive thing in the eyes of many people, regardless of which party they're in. I figure we probably ought to try and keep the scoring on this one. So Zoe Lofgren, the House Administration Committee Chairwoman and a Democrat from California, according to Business Insider, talking to uh, Zoe at the direction of Nancy Pelosi, uh, Zoe introduced the Combating Financial Conflicts of Interest in Government Act. Now, that's not very convoluted of a name, is it? Now, introduced this on Tuesday, but House Democrat leaders said that this week that they need time to read and revise the bill, saying, quote, we need to spend a little more time working on the specifics of the bill, socializing the specifics, and then taking another swing at it when we have a bit more time. Now, what do they mean by socializing the specifics? I mean, if she's talking about we just need to get together and have informal conversations, and maybe at like social events and things like that, how normally the discussion kind of gets moved forward uh, before they're to the official, we're debating it on the floor kind of uh, ideology and, and how to build a bill, then okay, then socialize the specifics. But I'm afraid we're living in an age where we have to wonder when they say socializing the specifics, we need to be concerned if that means, well, this is a little too much like, you know, uh, what a republic would do. And, and we want something more like what a socialist country would do. So I, I think it's worth mentioning the word usage. Normally, these people are very careful about the words they choose. Uh, we make a lot of fun of them, fun of them when they don't, so they normally do. So let me say that again. The quote was that we need to spend a little more time working on the specifics of the bill, socializing the specifics, and then taking another swing at it when we have a bit more time. This from Democratic House Chief Deputy Whip Stephanie Murphy, a Democrat from Florida. And that's what she told Punchbowl News, which is actually a real thing. I'm not making that up. <laughs> if you're a reader of Punchbowl News, you know that. If you've never heard of them before, that might sound like a joke. The kind of joke I tend to tell. But nope, they're legit. Look them up. So anyway, Democratic Majority Whip Steny Hoyer told reporters this past Thursday that uh, there would be probably no vote on the bill this week. Uh, Spanberger, who is a, in a closely contested race against Republican challenger uh, Vega, uh, the contest is currently listed as lean Democrat by the Cook Political Report, uh, 
she's in danger. This is a close one. And that does lead back to the question, how serious are you about this? I mean, I would like to think you are. I mean, again, Abigail, in this particular case, seems pretty sincere about it. Now, I'm concerned that her sincerity is because she's more socialistic than uh, a fan of the free markets, doesn't care much for the idea of capitalism. But at the end of the day, regardless of the motivation, if you're moving forward with something that's the right thing to do, then let's be friends on this one instance. And then from there, see if there's some other instances where we can be friends again. Because it's a lot harder to just dismiss your friends. It's a lot harder to just ignore their opinions if you value their opinion. So this could be a situation where you can build some bridges and maybe bring Abigail a little closer to our side on some other issues too, because I don't think there's very many of the American people that do not have a serious issue with the continued growth of personal wealth for the people that are holding these offices when they're supposed to be doing a job that's considered to be a public service. They're doing a job that has a very specific salary. And it's a job that that salary is already very generous in comparison to what the average American makes. That should be enough. Greed is a bad thing when it comes to politics. Greed can be a bad thing when it comes to anything. Now, financial motivation doesn't automatically equate to greed, but greed, that financial motivation taken to excess so that it blinds your judgment and empties you of moralistic values, that's always a bad thing. I'm a fan of this bill. I'm not certain that it's worded strongly enough. I like the fact that it does not say that you can't own stocks if you happen to be holding the opposite. What it says is you can't actively trade them yourself. That's a good thing because it means that in general, whatever you've invested in beforehand, it's still going to be there for when you're no longer in office. So you get to pick up your life right where you left off. I don't want this to turn into something that's going to discourage good Americans who would step up and do an excellent job from stepping up and taking on the role of being a representative and being a senator. I just want to make sure that they continue to be motivated by the idea that they're there to do the people's business, motivated by the idea that they're there to make things better for everyone, particularly for themselves when they're done. Let that be the motivation, not how do I take full advantage of while I'm here. Maybe I take a stand on this particular issue because it will allow me to squash competition of a, an upstart company that's really going to tear into the market share of somebody that I'm already heavily invested in. Let us not let these motivations be something that affects their time in office. 
again, I know, we have to deal with the imperfection of humanity. We have a system that's pretty damn good. The system is resilient. The system has safeguards in place that is designed to help prevent individuals from being able to go too far off the rails. The system, however, is in danger right now because Congress has advocated its primary responsibilities. The one thing that the geniuses that were our founding fathers, that were the framers of the Constitution, failed to take into account was the fact that at some point it would actually become a positive for members of the House and the Senate to no longer jealously guard their authority. I mean, who would have thought that somebody would eventually say that, you know what, if I really want to stay in this position, maybe I don't need to be on the record very much. They never believed there would come a time when the American people would continue to elect and re-elect people that didn't actually do something that benefited them. It's like, we're going to give you a couple of terms, and if we don't see at least something getting better, then guess what? You get the boot, somebody else comes along. I mean, for crying out loud, it's literally the opposite of what we've seen in college football when it comes to hiring coaches. It used to be a, a coach would get a decade, <laughs> in some instances, to turn a program around because people understood it takes time to turn a program around. But now we live in a time where if you're not winning or at least challenging for conference championships inside of two seasons, well, okay, it's time for us to go a different route. But then they'll keep sending somebody like Nancy Pelosi back to fill an office for decades and decades when she's clearly talked a good game, uh, except here recently where she talked about how important it is we need these illegal migrants so somebody will pick the crops. <laughs> way to, way to, show off your secret racism, Nancy. But uh, other than that, she talked a good game for most of her career, but she's never backed it up. Never. Are the people of California better off because of anybody that they've elected to the national level or even at the state level? If you can find somebody that has literally stepped up and done the job and has helped make your life a better life because of what they've done, then you need to hang on to that individual. And I don't care what letter they have at the end of their name. You need to keep electing them, and you need to take their advice on who they would like to continue to work with so that they can continue to make your life better. That seems like it should be a no-brainer. But instead, we keep sending people back that just say something pretty but never do anything that do not stand on a principle. I would rather have somebody that shows up and flames out uh, instantly because they stood for the principle but couldn't get anything done and the press decided they had to destroy them. I would rather keep sending people like that because at least you know what you're getting and they're doing what they said they'd do. Granted, I would also prefer a world that we send the people that are going to do the job the way it should be done that will honor their promises as best they can, as long as we understand they're going to be fighting an uphill battle to do that, which means they're going to have a hard time of making anything actually happen. I would love to be able to send people and keep sending people that are going to simply do the right thing. The right thing for the people of their district that they're representing, the right people for uh, the right thing for all the people of the United States of America, and the right thing from a moralistic standpoint, understanding that we have made plenty of things legal that are still immoral.
Uh, who who gets to gauge morality, Tip? Do you think you are wise enough to gauge morality for the rest of us? No, I'm not. But if I see you being driven by a moralistic value system in a fashion that is still congruent with the the design that the framers put in place, meaning we're not forcing religion on anyone, but we still understand that there's a difference between right and wrong, and we need to follow what is right, then yes, those people should be the leaders. And I think we can all agree that we are past the point of just needing politicians of just needing elected officials. We need to start electing leaders again. We've been missing that component. We keep scratching our head. Why are things continuing to get worse? Even when we have good people in positions, why do things keep getting worse? Because we've stopped electing leaders. This guy's really good at raising funds. Yeah. And so is somebody that leads a cult. This this lady over here has got lots of followers on Instagram. Stop talking about AOC. <laughs> Is she a leader? Well, she's got followers. Doesn't say. No, it doesn't. It's not the same thing. We need to elect leaders, and uh, we need to take the mid-hour break. So you guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after this. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Government officials must resort to lying on their political opposition. The only logical conclusion is that they do not care about the well-being of this republic. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Since January 6, 2021, elitist Republicans and leftist Democrats have been giving a Roman-style thumbs down to individuals who were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Some of them who remained in the gulag prisons never, ever entered into the Capitol building. One of the January 6th patriots, Jim Caldwell, never went into the Capitol, but yet he was arrested at 4 a.m. in the morning, taken to prison and tortured. They released him because he almost died. The same January 6th committee had no problem in 2020 when Antifa and BLM thugs were burning cities, destroying minority-owned businesses, etc. Just recently, the J6 committee released an audio they claimed to be Oath Keepers at the Capitol sharing intelligence. Turns out that the J6 committee accusations are a lie and that it was a recording of people watching the news on television. Thus, the J6 committee deserves to be completely discredited and the release of all January 6 political prisoners should commence immediately. I'm Ron Edwards. 
sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. We must be honest with each other and with ourselves. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Sometimes little things make a big difference. Take the modern cooler, for example. Obviously, a cooler is supposed to keep your stuff cold. But it's the little things, the obsessive quest for perfection that sets blue coolers apart. Little things, like realizing that girth matters. So they put 40% more insulation in the sidewalls. It can keep ice cold for up to 10 days at a fraction of the cost of the overpriced brands. Little things like adding a pressure release valve to the cooler. See, a slight change in air pressure can seal your cooler tighter than a camel's butt in a sandstorm. With Blue Cooler's pressure release valve, a gentle push of a button regulates the pressure. So you can open it with your finger. Little things, like re-engineering a locking mechanism that is so easy to open and close, even a child can do it. (laughs) That's not apple juice! The rest of the industry still uses a thick piece of tire rubber to lock their coolers, requiring the strength of an Olympic athlete to open it. Even the accessories have little things that make a big difference. It's the little things. The little things like the upgraded LED light kit. It illuminates the cooler when you open the lid so you don't accidentally grab an apple juice when what you really wanted was something stronger. Mommy, I'm hungry. Go to bed. It's mommy time. Little things like putting the drain plug on the same side as the wheels so you can easily drain it without looking like a moron. Genius. Little things like having a built-in bottle opener instead of a trashy-looking accessory strapped to the handle that dings up your cooler. It's the little things. Little things, like putting wheels on the biggest coolers. You're welcome, soccer mom. All those little things on blue coolers certainly feel like big things to me. So don't wait till you're a thousand miles away from civilization before you realize how important the little things really are. Grab yourself a blue cooler and experience the big difference today. Listen, if you get your self-esteem from overpaying for brand name stuff just to impress people, don't buy a blue cooler. But if you appreciate the little things that make a big difference, grab yourself a blue cooler and experience premium performance at a fraction of the price of that poser brand. Click the link to get yours today. Ours was the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government and with three little words, we the people. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver, the government is the car, and we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people 
are free. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our, our be priests, bishops and pastors refuse to face. That their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war. And someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better read than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond wow. which evil must yeah. not advance. In the words of Jim. Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. My name's Joe Biden. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. And I'm not being facetious. And I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight joker. I sure don't want to hurt no one. I keep forgetting I'm president. And I keep wishing that I could forget your president, Mr. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Man, oh man, do I wish I could. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you for staying with me through that very brief break, although it was a little longer than the average. I wanted to replay the uh, quote from uh, Jim Caviezel, uh, where he was talking about how he's talking about the, the, the truth that we are in a battle, that we are fighting actual evil. And we need to keep that in mind as we move forward. Uh, there needs to be a line in the sand drawn, a, a place where we just do not allow them to advance any further. We need to recognize that appeasement has always been a coward's way and it has always been a losing proposition. You cannot appease a powerful enemy and expect that you will win in the end because you never do. You never will. You never can. And on that note, a terrible transition that I hate to make, but uh, continuing to fight back against the enemy also requires sometimes financial support. 
And uh, sometimes, sometimes that means asking people to, to dig down deep and make contributions. But uh, that's not what I'm asking for here. Although you're perfectly capable of visiting me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, intothetruth.com. And on most of the pages, there's a button where you can push to make direct contributions if you wish to do so. Uh, that's not what I'm asking, though. I am asking you to look at the uh, links in the show description. Click on them and uh, buy some stuff that you were going to buy anyway. Or maybe you didn't know you were going to, but then once you saw them, you're like, hey, you know what? I really do want that. But I want you to use the links I'm providing so that in turn, they know I sent you and I can benefit too. That's not such a big ask. And if you can't do any of that, just listen to the podcast somewhere where the ads are available and let the ads play because that helps too. It takes a whole lot of them to add up to anything, but it helps. Every little bit helps. And yes, I, like many of you, could use some of that assistance. All right. So with that being gone uh, out of the way, uh, you heard back in the first hour commercial for Built Bar. There'll be a link in the show description for them. Uh, you heard the ad for Blue Coolers, uh, specifically mentioned, uh, follow the link. There'll be a link in the show description that you can use that will let them know. And I'm also going to include a link to Patriot Depot. And I'm going to ask you to use that link as well. Uh, and just go visit Patriot uh, Depot and see all the really cool stuff. Everything from t-shirts to hoodies to novelty items to yard signs to home decor. Uh, that you find everything from pro-Second Amendment to pro-Donald Trump to just downright uh, patriotic uh, holiday celebrations. It's all there. Uh, go visit there and see everything they have. Some of my favorite stuff are the shot glasses and the, uh, the the wine glasses and just some really cool stuff that uh, either has the preamble to the Constitution or parts of the Declaration of Independence. Just a lot of cool stuff. Okay, with all that being said, a couple of things I want to kind of touch on since I don't have a whole lot of time to do my usual deep dive. First of all, uh, a 30-year-old former NSA agent has been arrested after the Fed said that uh, he had been trying to sell government secrets to an undercover FBI agent that he thought was a foreign operative. Uh, this guy from Colorado Springs, it's where the Air Force Academy is, by the way, uh, Jera Sebastian uh, Dalky, or Dalk, it's either Dalk or Dalky. He made his first appearance in court this past Thursday after he was hit with espionage-related charges for allegedly attempting to transmit national defense information to a Russian operative. He thought they were Russian. According to the Department of Justice, this individual used an encrypted email account to send several classified documents to a person that he believed worked for the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. Now, in actuality, that person was an undercover FBI agent, and this guy subsequently arranged to transfer additional classified information in his possession to the said undercover FBI agent at a location in Denver. 
This individual, who was an information system security designer for NSA, worked there between June and July of this year, was arrested this past Wednesday when he went to meet up with his contact to allegedly sell this classified information. The DOJ said that this individual told the FBI undercover agent that he was still working for the agency and that he would exchange secrets for a specific cryptocurrency. The information in question reportedly related to U.S. cybersecurity at that point, but the guy asked for $85,000 in return for additional information in his possession. This guy was working for the NSA, supposedly passed a background check. And how sad is it that even though I don't think it plays into this case whatsoever, as soon as I see in the headline, undercover FBI agent, I instantly have to wonder, uh, should we believe the undercover agent? That's, that's where we're at in America. There's so little trust in this agency, so little trust in this institution of our government when it comes to law enforcement. And like I said, I doubt this guy, this guy's working out in Denver, not part of the D.C. We are secret uh, freaking operatives, bouncers for the Democratic Party. He's probably out here just trying to do actual legitimate law enforcement as mandated by the statement of what the FBI does. But how do we not wonder the question now? Because they've tainted the whole agency. That's horrible. But that's it. And I, I hate to admit that that was the first thing I thought. I really do. And again, as I got into the story and saw that probably not having anything to do with the Democratic uh, political operative uh, part of the party, uh, <laughs> part of the party, and see, here I am, I'm, I'm referring to the FBI as simply part of the Democratic Party now. I'm doing it subconsciously. That's where we're at. I'm not the only one doing this either. So I don't feel bad that it's just me because it's not just me. I feel bad that we as Americans now have to question everything that comes from the FBI, regardless of from where, because of how badly tainted these individuals are. I mean, I, I haven't had a chance to go through it yet, but they released the letter firing Peter Strzok. I'm going to spend some time talking about that a little later, so look for the bonus content over at Locals.com. Anyway, and another story that I think is worth mentioning, uh, President Joe Biden personally thanked a Coast Guardsman for saving a 94-year-old woman in the aftermath of Hurricane Ivan. Uh, Ivan. Where did I get Ivan from? It's Hurricane Ivan. Hello, Ian. But you see, the thing is, this particular hero that was personally thanked by the currently recognized commander-in-chief of the United States military, a man occupying the residency at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, happens to be Joseph Bob, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. He's, he personally thinks this guy, he's expecting to be fired within days. See, he's one of these brave individuals that has refused to take the COVID vaccine. Now, 
You, of course, I can hear some of the lefties out there, their heads explode. Ooh, why are you saying it's brave not to take the vaccine there, stupid guy? Well, because he's literally taking a stand that he knows not only can, but undoubtedly will cost him his current job. Because currently his job is to be the Coast Guard. Now, you do not serve in any branch of the military whatsoever, Coast Guard included, if you do not have a commitment to serving the people of this country. The downside is you have to take orders from people who may not necessarily have that same commitment, may not necessarily have that same uh, guiding principle. They have their own agendas, some of which very much just political some of which very much anti-American, therefore very much against the actual American people. You have to take orders from those folks because they're in a position of authority over what you do. But this guy's clearly committed to being in the Coast Guard. And he was out here doing the job in the aftermath of a hurricane. Aviation Survival Technician Second Class Zach Loesch. He earned praise in a phone call this past Friday from the supposedly commander-in-chief for kicking in a wall to save a trapped, wheelchair-bound woman and her husband. The guardsman hoisted the woman in her wheelchair to a waiting helicopter. Was interviewed by Breitbart News, who first brought the story to the attention of the populace. In statement, a press release from the White House, Joe Biden said, quote, I told him how proud of him I was and thanked him for all the work he and his coasties are doing to save lives. They thanked Loesch and Lieutenant Commander Christopher Hooper for the heroic work that they and their Coast Guard colleagues have performed during search and rescue operations in response to Hurricane Ian. That's part of the press release from the White House. Biden said that Hooper's team also saved a one-month-old baby it was not clear where this particular rescues occurred. But the next time Loesch hears from a federal official, it could very well be to learn that his career is officially over, that it's done, no more, no mas. Loesch told the news outlet, Breitbart News, that he had applied for a religious exemption to avoid taking the COVID vaccine, but doesn't expect it to be honored. Saying, quote, if I had asked any of the people I saved yesterday if they wanted to come with me, even though I'm unvaccinated, every single one of them would have said yes. Loesch, who also saved several pets, said that he did not mention his vaccination status or anticipated dismissal in the call with Biden, saying it would not have been appropriate. And that much is right. It, it would not be. It is a separate issue. He continues saying, it just sucks that he thanked me, yet the vaccine mandate is what's kicking me out. I just love my job and I'm ready. I'm really good at it. 
It sucks. I feel like this is the job that I was born to do. Now, as of Saturday afternoon, which was the last uh, bit of information that I saw on this particular topic, the Coast Guard had rescued or aided 442 people and 89 pets in Florida and South Carolina. More than 2,600 members of the U.S. Coast Guard and thousands more from other military branches remain unvaccinated. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin last year made the COVID vaccine mandatory for all service members, including those at the military academies. Most of the service members who have refused the jab have been given general discharges, meaning that they can receive benefits and rejoin the military if they get the vaccine, at least that's according to the Military Times. There are multiple lawsuits challenging the mandate, including two in South Carolina and Texas involving Coast Guard Academy cadets who were kicked out for refusing to get the jab. This story is important <clears throat> because it shows the ridiculousness of the mandate. The supposed commander-in-chief, which I say that because in order to be the commander-in-chief, you have to be a little more cognitive than Joe seems to be, was literally speaking to a person that the policies that he has rubber-stamped, that he's agreed to, that he claims to be his policies, are literally kicking this individual out of the Coast Guard. Kicking this person out of the Coast Guard when one of the last things that they're going to get to do is save the lives of people. Now, that is his job. That is literally the job. That is the primary expectation of what he's supposed to do, even by the designation of his current post. And that is his job. And that's not what's at issue. What's at issue is how many more people can this young man save during the course of a long career with the Coast Guard if he was allowed to do so? What is he going to have to do next? How much of the American public in general is now officially at risk because of this policy. How many other fine examples of young men and women who have chosen voluntarily to wear the uniform because they have a deep-seated desire to actually serve the public, to serve the country, to protect American lives, especially those individuals that are not in a position to protect themselves how many people are being put at risk? How many people are going to lose their lives because these fine young men and women like this officer? Sorry, he's not an officer. I was thinking about the lieutenant commander because I would love to know what he's saying. But again, it's not appropriate for him to comment on this issue. I would still love to know what he thinks. Something that by rights, I should never know, that you should never know, because he shouldn't make it public, but I still would love to be able to have an off-the-record conversation with him. That's why I said, officer, I was thinking about the lieutenant commander, that this individual who's getting booted out was thanked personally by the president. <sighs> love to know what that guy thinks about him. 
what I think, it's what I've just been saying for the last couple of minutes, I can't help but wonder how many people are going to lose their lives now who don't have to, who didn't have to, who never should have been in a position where they had to, because this policy is going to take competent, motivated individuals out of the service of the American people. It's going to put them in a position where they can't do the same level of good. Maybe can't even do actual good at all because they're going to be too busy pursuing whatever their next career step is. And a lot of us are now having to spend more and more time pursuing financial enrichment in order to keep up with our lifestyles that we had before Biden was sworn into office, before the United States of America lost its energy independence, before Bidenflation came up, came along, and started destroying the value of the U.S. dollar and therefore the value of everything that we worked for in our lives. Now, for those of you out there that have had everything handed to you, that you haven't had to work for any of it, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. But for those of us who have fought hard, scratched and clawed, and did everything we could, worked long hours, put our health at risk, that put ourselves second, third, or fourth down the line in order to build a life for ourselves and our family, we care as well we should. And our elected officials are at least supposed to act when they are voting and when they're making policies and voting on those policies, they're at least supposed to act like they care about that too, because that is their job. Do the work of the American people instead of taking away competent individuals who want to serve the country because you have some stupid policy about some experimental jab that turns out doesn't seem to be many, if any, of the things it was promised. That's going to have to be it for today, guys. Thank you so much for being here. As always, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And one final message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hold on.
is using both hands. Using both hands. Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.